Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And today we are joined by the lovely Lisa Mewburn, who is the Donation Specialist Nurse here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. How are you, Lisa? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Oh, awesome. We're really pleased to have you here. Look, we'd like to get to know a little bit about how you found yourself at this point in your career and sort of the yeah, what got you into nursing. Tell us your backstory. Um, well, nursing I just stumbled into after school. I actually wanted to be in a bit of biomedical science, but I thought I'd do nursing first and see how I went with uh, humans. And I absolutely loved it. I loved caring for people and chatting to people. So I stayed in that field. Um, I firstly got into orthopaedic and neuro nursing, and that took me overseas. So I worked in London for a couple of years. And when I came back, I saw um, ICU firsthand, and I wanted to get involved in that. So 15 years later, I'm still an ICU nurse, but um, the opportunity came up to be a donation specialist nurse, and I jumped at it, and here we are. Fantastic. So we're going to jump straight into your five things. So your number one is what is organ and tissue donation? So before I worked in ICU, it wasn't something I had ever crossed paths with professionally. And organ donation and tissue donation is when a person, the donor, donates or gifts their organs and tissues to another person which, who becomes the recipient. And the purpose of doing this is to allow the recipient who has a damaged organ and is often quite sick to have that organ replaced through a procedure called a transplant. The transplant people are probably most familiar with is the kidney transplant. And we often hear about a person who needs a kidney and their family or friends will undergo testing to see if they're a match. If they are compatible, the family member will donate their kidney to a loved one. And this transforms the recipient's entire quality of life. They don't need to go to dialysis three times a week. They can go back to work. They can go on holidays away from a dialysis centre and it really improves their health dramatically. And this is known as living donation. And the difference, I, with the difference in the work I do here at the Royal is I work in deceased donation. So this means I work with the families in ICU when their loved one is at end of life, and I help them make a decision whether they would like to gift their, uh, or gift their loved one's organs to an unknown recipient when they pass away. And I guess that's the thing is with a kidney, with a living donation, we've got a spare yes, <laughs> theoretically yes. that we can offload. Yes. Um, a bit harder to do living donation of single organs. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so for those people who don't know anything, like what sort of organs and tissues can people donate? So we often talk about organ and tissue donation collectively, but there's actually big differences between the two. So organ donation is the gift of our big organs. So our heart our lungs, our liver, pancreas, kidneys, and in some states um, they can donate their intestine, but we don't do that here in Queensland. Oh, right. Um, And this is all facilitated through Donate Life. Um, The donor is a patient in our ICU and they're on life support, which means they have a breathing tube in and they're on a ventilator. 
On the other hand, tissue donation is the donation of our tissues, such as our eyes. We can restore sight in another human uh, skin. The Royal Brisbane's a big burns unit, so um, often our big burns patients come in and they don't have enough healthy skin to graft onto our uh, graft onto their um, burnt skin. So we'll use donor skin. Uh, the Royal is also a major trauma centre, so they use donated. Uh, musculoskeletal tissue to reconstruct or um, reconstruct joints and also cardiovascular tissue um, so for the little babies and children born with heart defects they often reserve this tissue for them yeah it's really interesting isn't it and what is the most common tissue or organ that is donated um, usually the eyes uh, yeah eye tissue and it's amazing it restores vision I can't imagine the difference in someone's life being able to see again yeah it's incredible it's, it's interesting to me because I've been involved in a number of organ and tissue donations over the years and eyes is the thing we need most of and it's often the ones that people are most reluctant. Yes. Um, they will donate their, the big organs yes. but they feel funny about the eye whereas I think, you know, being able to restore someone's sight, you know, would be a lovely gift to give someone after you have died. Exactly. And to be honest, before I had started this job – that was a weird concept to me. So I didn't have to donate eyes, but I have completely changed my mind. And it's um, just the way in which uh, the patients are treated in this process. It's so dignified and they're treated beautifully. And um, so I have no qualms in donating my eyes now. Yeah. yeah. I suppose on in terms of tissue um, donation, like you mentioned, so you, you're involved with deceased donation yes. or dying patients' yes. um, donation. Tissue donation, you said, happens through a separate process through Bone and Tissue Bank that yes. then contact the family of the deceased patient. Is that That's correct. sort of how it works? So the Queensland Tissue Bank look after all that and surprisingly we're completely different. So Donate Life looks after the organ donation and Queensland Tissue Bank looks after the tissue donation. We will work side by side. So if we're consenting a family for organ donation, so we minimise disruptions to the family and their grieving We'll consent them for tissue as well and we'll notify the tissue bank. Um, but it's a very different process. So um, if you are on the ward or you die in the community, you die at home, you still have the opportunity to save lives because tissue can be retrieved up to 24 hours after death. And also the implications for uh, the nurses on the ward is that Queensland Tissue Bank gets an automatic notification. So the second um, that a patient's time of death is entered into hibiscus, the Queensland Tissue Bank get an automatic notification and then they go, th- go through the process of uh, medical suitability. So you may get a call on the ward as a nurse um, if they can't get the information they need. And um, I know we uphold confidentiality, confidentiality very well here, but you are allowed to give the Queensland Tissue Bank patient information so that they can go ahead and be a tissue donor. Awesome. And just for our non-Queensland Health listeners, international audience, Hibiscus is our kind of base um, clinical information system. And yes registration system for the hospital well thanks to jesse we've just done number one and two so we've (laughs) covered what is organ and tissue donation and part of what the process is i guess for organ and tissue donation but certainly for you know our patients who are dying it it is a bit more complicated isn't it than just making a phone call do you want to just step us through what is the process um, when someone's dying about donating organs? Yeah, so we covered tissue donation, but organ donation's a little bit different. So it all really starts with the care of the patient in ICU. So our patients are admitted into ICU and our incredible ICU team look after them. And for um, a multitude of different reasons, it 
despite our best efforts, it becomes evident that they're not going to survive this treatment that we're doing. So um, with in consultation with the family and because it, continuing treatment isn't in the patient's best interest, we will change from active treatment to an end-of-life pathway. And it's at this point, um, as a Donate Life nurse, we'll get a referral from an intensivist if they're in ICU to see if in during this end-of-life process if organ donation is something that they would want to go ahead with. Um, uh, myself and Lorraine Dyer work here at the Royal, so there's two Donate Life nurses here and we cover Monday to Friday. So um, during that time, the intensivist will call us and if appropriate, we'll go into the family meetings. I say if appropriate because not all patients will be suitable for organ donation and we don't really want to be offering this to families if it's not something that could go ahead. And so in terms of the process... Uh, you find yourself in a family meeting um, and you is it, you do put a request through. Like what happens then? Like I imagine lots of people listening are saying, how on earth do you have such an awkward conversation <laughs> to say, I'm really sorry that your loved one is dying. How about, you know, would you like to donate their organs? Yes. Well, we um, as part of end-of-life care, uh, we talk about um, what they would want at end-of-life and the, the conversation shifts completely. So we talk about memory making and uh, legacy and what they would like to do. And part of this is organ donation. So all patients who go to end of life in ICU are um, considered a potential donor. So we'll do some checks. Um, we'll check the Australian Organ Donor Register before we go in and see if they're registered. And we will talk to families about if that's something that they would want for their loved one. And we really help them make a decision that's right for them. So we, we give them all the information about what organ donation looks like and we see if that's something that um, would be suitable for them or if that's something they'd like to do. Yeah. And I think it's really important for people who haven't been involved in the process that this is still done extremely respectfully. Yes. Um, it can be very empowering for families. I was have only ever done organ and tissue donations of deceased newborns, babies and oh, children wow. yes. um, and, you know, it can be a powerful experience for the family that's donating but obviously makes a massive difference for the families who are able to receive. Yes, and we do a lot of research um, post. So we have a, a bereavement support officer, Diane Murphy, who will follow up with all our patients and we do a lot of research in bereavement and we found that no family has ever um, uh, grieved more or been affected by the fact that we've actually asked the question. So um, if you can imagine at this point, people have been through a huge grief. It's, it's something that's been catastrophic and very tragic and they haven't really had time to prepare. So in this grief process, a lot of patients and their, fam oh, their families aren't thinking about organ donation. It could be the last thing on their mind. So um, we just make sure that they're ready to hear the information. And if they're not, they can have a little bit more time. Um, we assess that when we're in the family meetings. Sometimes they're not ready to hear it and we will step back and just wait until they're at that point in the grieving process where they're ready to hear. Yeah, I, I guess the other thing that having worked in this space in ICU is that there's a turning point where the family perceives you're doing everything yes. to try and save their loved one. And then it can look like, it could feel like it's a flip to you're stopping doing everything so then there's nothing. Yes. And I, I think that's a really important thing to, to help. That's one of many things, like you said, you're shifting towards giving that person back to the family in a way yes. and the discussions around organ donation are just part of that like how do we make memories uh, for you guys the, the last memories of this situation um what 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 can be salvaged like 
not not what positives can come out of this, but mm. what can be salvaged to um, carry the legacy of your loved yes. one forward. It's a very collaborative conversation between intensive care, between the clinical side of things and between the relational side of things, which isn't always perfect and isn't always the easiest thing to coordinate. Yes. So I kind of, I, I think one of the things of going, what's the ideal time for you guys to get called in um, in this process? Which is our point number three. Yes. <laughs> um, so they have to be these Patients, they have to be on an end-of-life pathway. So we can't get involved at any time before that when they're actively treating. And I think some of these patients, it comes a time, they could be in ICU for a couple of days, even a couple of weeks, and the family have seen the struggle. The family have seen what they've been through. And as you said before, they've they've um, come to a point where treating this patient is no longer in their best interest. So um, when they go onto that end-of-life pathway is when we become involved. That's the time we step in. And what sort of training do you guys have to undergo to become a donation specialist oh, nurse? We get incredible training. So through Donate Life, we get um, family conversation training, um, and that's many days um, in, during courses. And there's a lot of ongoing training. So um, we have um, two educators at Donate Life, and they sit with us. Um, we have supernumerary time, so we just um, observe some of the time. We just sit there with the families and we just listen and we kind of take cues on when families need to hear things or want to hear things or um, when to step back. So there's a lot of – it's a lot of on-the-job training because it's something you can't really teach. You have to just submerge yourself into that hard environment and just go from there. Yeah. And what, So as a nurse that's not necessarily looking to the career path of it, what training opportunities are there for um, nursing staff, for clinicians um, from Donate Life? Well, we, we have a lot of uh, courses that we run. So um, the IDAT course, so that's an introductory to donation course. And we um, we invite everyone to that. There's uh, ICU staff, social workers. I've done that training. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Indigenous health liaison officers. We really, because this is a whole team effort. It's not just us sitting in there. It's uh, the intensivists invited, um, just the, even the junior doctors. Junior doctors come in and they've had no, um, like it's really something you can't train for. You have to just be in the moment. So, um, yeah, we do a lot of theatre workshops um, with the theatre staff because they um, they get the call and they don't actually have – they're not part of the back work, so yeah. they're just kind of thrown into it. And it can be quite hard for them emotionally to come into that scene without knowing the family and without knowing the patient. Or, or knowing the conversations that yes. have happened before, hey, and then being put in – like it's a yeah, stressful situation. Yes. There's a lot of trust required. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, sometimes people – Continue to feel a bit weird about the whole, the whole thing. Um, what happens if a family says no? Well, w- there's no pressure put on family. So what we like to do is present the information about donation and see if it's something that they would like to do. Sometimes families say no because they're so traumatized. They're part. They're in the grief process, and it's just easier in that moment to not think about donation and not think about it. So. The way we try and present the information is t- we're very neutral. Um, we just want to make sure that's something that they would like to do and it's something that they would be comfortable with today because you can say no today but in six months' time when um, the grieving's a bit easier, if they, we just want them to be comfortable with their decision um, at any time period. So 
um, it's fine for them to say no, but we just want to make sure they're comfortable with that decision. It's really about sharing information, isn't yes, it? And yep. then empowering people when they've got all the information at their fingertips to make a choice that sits comfortable with their own values and with the values and, you know, love and legacy of their the person who's dying. And sometimes they need time uh, to discuss as a family because the family, sometimes we go into family meetings, there's more than 30 people in the room. So yeah. it's not just mum and dad or the children, it's the extended family and we want everyone in that room to be comfortable with the decision. So they might need time to go away and discuss that as a family unit and it's good that they can all hear the information from us and they can all discuss it together. Yeah. Terrific. So our number four is that organ donations are actually very rare. Yes, very, very rare and very special. So to throw out some numbers, Australia has a population of just under 26 million and each year, very sadly, 170,000 Australians die. And that's all different reasons. So that's the older population who die at home all the way through to our younger catastrophic car accidents and everyone in between. So in 2021, out of that 170,000, there were 421 donors in Australia. And the reason it's so rare is you have to um, pass away or be very close to passing away in hospital. Not only that, in ICU, on a ventilator, with a breathing tube. So it's very, very, very rare. And in reality, only 2% of the whole population can ever be considered for organ donation. So if you add to that patients may be medically unsuitable or they may say no or sometimes patients are so sick that they wouldn't last that time period to do the workup process so that further drops our potential donors so it's uh, I I don't want to say only because I don't want to like 421 donors still save the lives of so many people Um, so 1,174 lives were saved (coughs) so that's incredible um But it just goes to show that it's so important to register your wishes and make them known so there's no one missed by families who are grieving so badly that they just can't think of it in that moment Mm. and and talk to your loved ones. So let them know what your wishes are so it makes it it much easier at end of life when you don't have a voice because you've got a breathing tube in so let your loved ones know. Yeah, and look, again, coming from paediatrics, you never, I don't think you're ever too young to have those conversations. I had those conversations with my boys when they were quite young, like early primary school, to say, look, you know, if anything ever happened, would you want to donate your organs? And I need you to know that mummy would really want you to make that decision to donate my organs. Oh, that's incredible. So, you know, it's you're never too young yes. to sort of – have those conversations. It's so rare that someone dies under those specialised circumstances in the intensive care on a ventilator that when we have those opportunities, the more the public and the more healthcare professionals are aware of it, the greater the opportunity we have to save other lives. Definitely. And we do, we have a party program here, which is a prevention of alcohol-related trauma in youths. And we have all the school boys and girls come in and we do a big segment on Donate Life and that it's something they have never heard of before, something they've never experienced because young people don't talk about death. They don't mm. talk about dying. So they, they go out of here very inspired to talk to their families. So I think we need to do a bit more of that in the younger population. Mm, terrific. Okay. And so number five, and we've touched on this a little bit, is what does organ and tissue donation mean for families? Well, this is probably one of my favourites because um, 
I mean, there's not one size fits all concept, but I think the main reason throughout is that patients, families want to help other people if they can. It's, it's such a selfless act. And it's so humbling to sit in family meetings and families have never discussed it before, but they will say something like, oh, Sam, he was so kind and so selfless. He'd, he'd give you the shirt off his own back and I know if he was sitting here right now, this is something he would want to do. Mm. So, um, yeah, a lot of people don't want other people to suffer the way they have. So they'll, um, to alleviate someone else's suffering in that moment, they will put their needs aside and choose to gift just so that they don't... Um, no one else experiences the same grief that they have. And I guess this day and age as well, we find that um, through social media and people are a lot more connected. A lot of people know someone on the transplant waiting list or um, they've seen a family member or a friend have a transplant and they see the journey they go through. And it's, it is a hard journey waiting for a, an organ on the transplant waiting list. Their whole life is, life is affected. So they don't want anyone to suffer the way they have. Um, and we find a lot of our donor families come back to donate life after. So it's so important for them. It brings them a sense of legacy that um, their loved one lives on and someone else in a sense of comfort. And they come back to donate life as community champions. They'll call us up in a year or two years and they want to give back. Uh, it just means so much to them that their loved one could have helped someone else and they want to raise awareness for donate, donate life. And um, it just brings up such comfort. So one thing I want to say is obviously, again, you know, I've only done this with babies and children. Um, the loss of a child, they say, is the worst thing that can possibly happen. And what I've seen is that a lot of meaning making can come when families make a decision to donate organs or tissue. Because as you said, that they know that they're stopping another family or sometimes several families out there from having the same painful um, not just that day, but future that they're looking into by making this decision. And it certainly doesn't stop you from being able to have a, a funeral as normal or uh, any sort of grieving process, does it? Like how how long? I guess we didn't talk about that in the process, but if I decided to, you know, donate my partner's organs, you know, how, how long are they gone for? Like how disruptive is it to the death process to have that happen? Really no disruption at all. So they will go into theatre to have the operation to retrieve their organs, but they go to the mortuary after it and there is no disruption to having funeral arrangements. There's no delays. Um, they're not disfigured, so they can still be an open casket. So even if you're donating eye tissue, they do prosthetic eyes in there. Um, the wounds are beautifully... Um, they're very clean, aren't they're they? They're very clean, yes. Yeah. It's so uh, dignified and they're treated so beautifully and uh, there's no delays to funeral processes. Drawing on that, it, there's there's like a reverence about it. Like I've, there's kind of this calm respect through the whole process that's quite eerie when you're actually yeah. in it. Like I, it's not something you can really describe until you've been in the midst of it is there's just a like this global respect in – Teams come together that haven't even met each other in the same hospital before with all such clarity in what that shared goal is and it's it's different to any other any other situation of shared care that I've been involved in. It is incredible to watch it all unfold. It is really um, a real privilege to be part of the process and to watch it all unfold and just the way they treat the donor with absolute respect and dignity and the way they look after the family, it's just incredible to be a part of. Yeah, Okay, so I, I think you've done a fantastic job of really summarising that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a crack at um, signposting it a bit better because we were a little bit 
preemptive with some of our stuff today. So number one. Sorry, that was me. I jumped the gun. <laughs> it was you. Number one, what is organ and tissue donation? And you very clearly explained to us that organ is the donation of those big organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver, pancreas, etc., and can only happen when people have been incredibly injured or ill and you're in intensive care on a ventilator and you're going, you know, unfortunately, despite our best efforts, that person is going to die. Tissue donation can happen for up to 24 hours and it doesn't matter if the person dies in the home or in the hospital, as long as they've been well enough, that tissue is well enough uh, and they meet eligibility criteria, you can still donate um, corneas from the eyes and heart valves and things yep. like that. Number two was, what is the process for organ and tissue donation? And again, just to remind people, they are two separate processes. Tissue is for people who die outside of the ICU. The process in the ICU is a little more complicated. You have to be on a ventilator um, and that you will actually meet one of the donation specialist nurses during that pathway. But if I'm a nurse on the ward, I could still be thinking about tissue donation um, and may be contacted by the tissue bank. Number three is when should healthcare professionals engage with um, donation specialists? And I guess, you know, you were saying as soon as we know it's an end of pathway experience in intensive care. However, if we're working on the wards, we could still be thinking about tissue donation or even preempting for families that this may be something yes. that, that could come up in the future. And number four is organ donations are exceptionally rare. So I'm going to stuff these stats up, but I'll have a (laughs) crack at it. We know there's 26 million people in Australia, about 170,000 people die each year. And out of that, we had 421 um, donations last year. And of that 421 donations, how many recipients did we have? We had 1,174. Yeah, so these are really rare occurrences. So if ourselves or any of our family members tragically ended up in the ICU, these are conversations that we have to have had really importantly beforehand. And number five, we talked about the importance, meaning, how meaningful, how reverent, uh, how important it can be that during the most tragic times of people's lives, they can leave this beautiful legacy that can stop one or sometimes up to seven or eight other people not having that same experience by saving a life. Yes, perfect. Well okay. done. <laughs> Wonderful. That's a great podcast. Thank you very much. And to all of you listening, please talk to your family and friends and if appropriate, your patients about organ and tissue donation and please register. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. 
please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things 